Good morning. You can open up, please, to Acts chapter 26. The end of Acts chapter 25, the Apostle Paul's being accused by the governor Festus. And the Apostle Paul decides to say, I want to appeal to Rome. I want to go to Rome. Remember, the, Lord was, the Holy Spirit was telling him to go that, in that, that direction. And so he makes that appeal, but Festus is saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to write up about his charges. And, and so King Agrippa and his sister Bernice are, are coming through town. And so he asks Agrippa to hear the case from the Apostle Paul, hoping that he'd be able to write something about him. And we're going to read in Acts chapter 26, starting at verse 9, but what happened before then is that the Apostle Paul's excited to hear that King Agrippa is there. He knows that King Agrippa is part Jewish, and so he's aware of Jewish customs and cultures, and he sees this as an opportunity to share his faith, opportunity to share about Jesus, an opportunity to share his testimony and he begins by, and it's amazing because in the first verse it says, you may speak in your defense. Now his defense was not, let me figure out what I can say to get out of the situation. He was saying, thank you God, here's another opportunity to share my testimony. And he begins to share some of his past, the way he was raised and the different things that he knew as growing up. And he began to say that, you know, I, I just actually believe what we're supposed to believe. That's what he was pretty much saying in essence in the first eight verses. And then in verse 9, I love this, he says, I used to believe, that's key, we're going to talk about that in a moment, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. You know, we know that those believers instantly went into glory, instantly, but this verse 11, I know when I read it, it, it hurts my heart. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. And one day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We, are, we all fell down and heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, and I'm reading from the NLT, it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will, or how many of you heard it, to kick against the goads? And that's another way that uh, the Bible has written it that way, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. He said, who are you, Lord, I asked, and the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future and I'll rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. The title of the message is It's Time to Speak. It's time to speak. Now, Paul gives a very good example of a testimony, what a testimony is, how to share a testimony. He shares before, before Christ. He begins to tell people how he was raised, the different things that he did, things that he did that were wrong. It doesn't mean he went into gruesome detail, but he begins to show the, the, the contrast of after Christ. And then he tells us how he encountered Jesus. Here we say encounter, serve, grow at Grace Point. So we pray that we encounter God on an individual basis and together when we come together. And so he encounters Jesus. And then when he talks about what God is doing in his life now. He begins to say, this is the call that God has on my life. This is where he's sending me. He's repeating the words of Jesus that were said to him. Now, we have our, if you're a believer in this place, you have a salvation testimony. You have a before. You have how you encountered Jesus. And then you have, what is God doing in my life now? And then we have other testimonies, answers to prayer, protection that God gave to us. How many of you have a testimony that you know that it was the Lord how many times we've been driving and at just the right time we look up? It's not an accident. We have a testimony of God's protection. I was talking with my eight-year-old daughter either yesterday or the day before and we were reading this as a family and she said, you know, my testimony, I, I don't really have, it's not much different than my younger siblings. And she was concerned that she didn't have this big past, which I thank God for. 
But we started to, to let her know it, it, it's not just the focus on the past. The greatest testimony is not, oh, who was the worst before Christ? It's what God's doing in your life now. The greatest testimony is I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. So don't be discouraged if you don't have a testimony like the Apostle Paul. But I want to talk to you a little bit about why Christians don't share about Jesus. Now the statistics are very low. I don't have it in front of me. I heard it once before. It's very low about how many Christians actually share their faith. The first one is some people say, I don't know enough. And I would say yes and no. Yes, that's true, but no, it's not. Because if you are a born-again Christian, you know enough of how a person gets saved. You know what the peace of God is like. You know that you were once a sinner, and now you're forgiven. And so you may not know every theological topic that's in the Bible, but you certainly have enough to share. And then I would say, yes, that's true, because some of us are concerned, well, what if somebody asked me a question? What if somebody brings up a point that I don't understand? And, and, but that should never discourage us from sharing our faith. But I do understand it because the, there's a statistic that recently came out that said 7 out of 10 U.S. adults call themselves Christians. But only 6% have a biblical worldview. And what that means is that majority of people that call themselves Christian probably don't even believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that's the only way to the Father. And so if they don't believe that, they're not going to share it because the Bible says what comes out of the heart, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and so it's not in the heart. And so the first one is people say, I don't know enough. The second one, false conversions. In the late 90s, early 2000s, before I was a Christian, I used to shop at a place that some of you used to shop at. Now, now in this area, there are some legitimate stores. But how many of you know Canal Street doesn't have everything that's legitimate? <laughs> and I would go and get my bootleg CDs and, and my Movado watch. <laughs> and then there was this fad that went on for a while that people would, and I didn't do it to my car, but people would wrap their headrest with different materials such as Gucci material or Burberry. Does anyone remember this time period? Like four people. And so I went and bought, a, 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 I guess, a sheet of Gucci material, fake Gucci material. And it was either a pair of Air Force Ones or a pair of Timberlands. I don't remember, but I saw that it had like a, you know, had a little uh, shape on the side. So I would cut it out, and I got my glue, and I glued it to my sneaker. But it was fake and peeling. Ladies, how many know if you have a fake purse and somebody comes into the same room as you with a real purse, it gets pretty uncomfortable. She may begin to talk about where she got her purse from. She may show other people in the room her purse. And then she turns to you and says, where did you get yours from? And we could be in a room and the person with the real Christianity comes in and it gets real uncomfortable for the person with the false conversion. And they begin to share about Jesus and they begin to share about their love for him and there's a passion and there's a changed life and then all of a sudden we don't want to talk. We have to check. Verse nine, something very important in verse nine in chapter 26. Paul said, I used to believe. That means there's a change. There has to be a change before how you encounter Jesus and what he's doing in your life now. I have the privilege of being one of the people that teaches baptism class here and we ask people to fill out their testimony. I also know after that week, it's usually one of, it, it becomes a harder week come Monday for me anyway because I'm one of the people that has to call when it's not clear the testimony. So I've, if I've called you, it's only because I'm trying to help you either articulate what you believe but may not understand exactly what's going on 
And as pastors, we're talking about a new believers class here to help people articulate their faith and what's going on. But also at times, the person may not be a believer. I've had the privilege of leading two people to the Lord, one as they came dressed ready for baptism, and the other at the end of a baptism class. And so when people write on their testimony, I've always been a Christian, I always went to church, how do you know that you're a Christian? I read the Bible, there's people that know the Bible better than I do, and, and, and they would tell you they're not a Christian. And so the second reason that there's false conversions. The third reason, and I had the privilege of being on the young adult retreat last weekend and shared with the group that was there that we don't fail well. Sometimes we don't share our faith because we don't fail well. The time between conviction and repentance is really long. And so when the Holy Spirit convicts us, the faster that we repent, the faster that we confess sin, the more desire we have inside of us to actually share the good news. The longer we let that go, how many of you know that, and I've been in that situation where somebody may ask you something about Jesus, you don't even want to talk about it. And so the time between conviction and repentance. In the NLT it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. But how many of you grew up reading that as kick against the goads? Kick against the goads. That's another way that the Bible writes it. And a goad is a stick with a point at the end. And the ox, when it refused to move forward. How many know that backsliding is not just going backwards? It's also a, remo- a, re- a resistance to move forward. And so the, the, the person would, would put the stick behind the ox's foot. So when the ox would kick it would eventually say, ouch, I don't like this, this is painful, I better move forward. And so the Apostle Paul, some say it was all the way back at the stoning of Stephen that the Apostle Paul began to get convicted and fighting against the Lord Jesus. And so he says, why are you, why are you fighting against my will? Number fourth reason is shame. Even after we repent of sin, we feel we're not good enough. We're, we live in shame. And let me tell you something to parents. Parents, don't, don't put yourself in that position. You have the authority to speak truth and the truth of God's word to your children's life. They're looking for honesty. But if you make a mistake along the way, don't ever feel the shame that you've lost your authority to speak into their lives. And so shame will keep us from sharing the gospel. None of us are good enough to share. It's not even our testimony It's the testimony of what the Lord has done in our lives. The Bible tells us anyone who's in Christ is a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The Bible also tells us for some of us, we are the smell of death to some people, to some people the fragrance of life. So we need to get used to that. Not everyone's gonna like us. Number five, the fifth reason why many Christians don't share their testimony, share the good news of Jesus, is that they have no prayer life. In prayer is where we get the heart and the burden of God. Apart from prayer, we can do nothing. And so we get the burden of God, we get the heart of God, we get his feelings for this world and this generation. It's in prayer where we can pray specifically and then we remember when God answers the prayer, then we have something to share with somebody. But if we're not praying, How are we going to sit here and tell people uh, testimonies of God's answers to prayer? Number six, no movement, no action. There's no fresh stories. They're still telling the stories from, and there's a point to that, and we're going to get to that in a moment, but it's the same stories. Our street evangelism team goes out the second Friday of every month. This month, it's February the 17th because of the Sweetheart Banquet. But if you want some fresh stories, just show up here on Friday February the 17th at 7 o'clock, pray, go out and share your faith and pray with people and you'll have some fresh stories to share. I had the privilege of going out with them in December and I partnered up with one of the brothers in the church and we were going through the Palisades Mall because it's cold out and so the team decided to go there and when we were there, he began to share his faith and I began to, you know, I said, hey, let's go over to to the Airsoft place. I don't know if you've seen that in the Palisades Mall. And now I'm going to tell you what the man's name is so everyone could go to the airsoft place. And Muhammad works there, young man, young adult from Turkey, brand new to the country. And so we went in there and I began to share with him about Jesus. I began to ask him if he has any questions about Jesus. And then while we were in there, we said, okay, you know, this guy's trying to 
work for a business, so I said, for every bullseye that I knock down, I get to tell you one thing about Jesus. And so I got to knock some down, and we began to talk to him. I've had a chance to go back, give him a Bible. He does have questions. The team met up that night at a certain location in the mall after everyone goes out in their smaller groups to share, and they began to share stories. And they got fresh stories. It's exciting. So if you want some fresh stories, jump in and say yes to the Lord. People are afraid. There's been times where I've been afraid and and I've missed the mark. I I remember, I've shared this before, but um, my wife and I were staying with family and across the street and up the block and an older lady I remember lived there and it was on my heart, God had put it on my heart to, to go knock on her door and share the gospel with her. And uh, I remember she's been there forever. She has one of those screen doors that have glass slats on it that you have to kind of turn to open to see who's behind the screen there. And so I remember saying, hey, Lana, come with me. And, and so we were walking across the street, and I remember thinking, maybe she died. She's old. I hope maybe, I wouldn't have to share then if she's not there. <laughs> and I knock on the door, and she answered. She didn't open up all the way. She opened up her slats. But I had a chance to share the gospel with her. She didn't pray for salvation, but we prayed for her. And there are testimonies that I can share when we say yes, when we trust the Lord when we step out on faith, when we actually are are listening for his voice throughout the day to say, do you want me to talk to somebody? Do you want me to, to pray with somebody? Do you want me to share the gospel with somebody? In Ephesians 5.18, the Bible tells us, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It actually means be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continuous command from God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a denominational thing. This is not a Pentecostal thing, Baptist thing, Catholic thing, Protestant thing, Lutheran thing, Methodist thing. It is a Bible thing. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the power to witness And now this is Paul's third time that he's sharing his testimony in the book of Acts. First time he talks about the whole Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me situation. But the third time, and I love what he says in Philippians 3.1, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. He doesn't get tired. How many dads are in this place? You're guilty of someone telling you. You keep telling me the same story over and over. We go to the train museum in Pennsylvania, and there's a a shoe shine exhibit there. My dad used to shine shoes when he was younger, and so I I told the kids, we went to the train museum, I said, hey, you know, your, your grandfather, Pop, used to shine shoes and now every time we go there, I tell them, Pop used to shine shoes. Pop used to shine. And they say, Dad, are you going to tell us the story again? And I'm going to tell them again. It's okay to say the same things over and over. Just, just pick the right story. There's more important things than shining shoes, but pick the right story. Keep sharing your testimony with your children. Keep sharing the goodness of God with others. Psalm 71, 18 says, Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. In other words, if you're old in this place, the younger people need you. Grandparents, we need you. We need you to tell us the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the different seasons that you've gone through. We need you to declare the power to the next generation. And older people in this place, you need the younger people. The Bible tells that they're gonna have dreams, they're gonna have visions, they won't have the wisdom on what to do with it, but they're gonna have dreams and visions. And if the older and the younger could come together, how powerful that is. Declare the power of God to the next generation. Get a hold of it for yourself that you can declare it to the next generation. I don't want my kids to be remember me by the, oh, my dad was the guy who told us about shining shoes. There's so much more important things to talk about. 
the average father talks to their child four and a half minutes a week. 37 seconds a day. The average father talks to their child 37 seconds per day. We need to declare the power to the next generation. It doesn't happen in 37 seconds per day. It happens when we intentionally invest in our lives. Philip, the evangelist, Philip that's found in the book of Acts, I don't think he shared just the same story for the rest of his life. One day I vanished and I appeared to someone else. So you vanished. But yet he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. That was intentional. That's intentional parenting. That's an intentional father. And he's an evangelist, which means he's current. He's fresh. He has the fresh stories. Don't give up on the power of a testimony, church. Revelations 12, 11 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto death. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We overcome by what Jesus did on the cross and by us publicly declaring what he did on the cross. We overcome that way. We can't stop encouraging ourselves. We can't stop encouraging our family, our friends, our enemies, our coworkers, this community. We cannot give up on the power of a testimony. In Acts 26, the apostle Paul shared in the presence of his authorities, his enemies, and religious people. It didn't matter who he was in front of. He knew what God told him to do. Hey, go to Rome. And if it wasn't Rome, it was heaven. And he said, while I'm going, I'm going to share with everybody I can along the way. I'm going to win as many people to the Lord as I can. So some people are afraid, but let me remind you of 2 Kings chapter 6. The Bible tells us of a man named Elisha. And Elisha heard from God. He had God's mind. And the king of Aram was upset about this because it was like... Elisha was in his own bedroom hearing all the battle plans. And so the king of Aram says, you know what? I'm going to send out a great army to surround him. Chariots and horses to surround the city. And Elisha had a servant. The servant gets up the next morning early and goes outside. And there's troops and there's horses and there's chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. How many of you, if you went home tonight and there was two gangs surrounding your house and wives, your husband looks to you and says, don't be afraid. What faith. He said, don't be afraid. There are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. John G. Patton, the missionary, him and his wife were missionaries to the Pacific Islands. And the testimony goes like this. One night as they were reaching out to the tribal communities, one of the tribes surrounded their hut and they decided that they were going to burn it to the ground with them inside. And John and his wife went to prayer. They went into prayer in that hut. And they said it was, it was painful and scary all night long, but in the morning they went outside and there was nobody there. And one year later, the, that former tribal leader becomes a Christian and they have the conversation, what happened that night? What happened? Why didn't you attack us? He said, what do you mean what happened? We came and there were hundreds of warriors and shining garments with swords drawn and we said, no way, we're out of here. True story. John Patton, you can look it up. God is with us. There are more on our side than the enemies. And I can tell you, even if a thousand demons lined up and it was you and God, that's still more. God is on our side. So doctor, when you walk into work and they tell you to label a boy or girl, you look them in the eyes and you say, no, I am a Christian. I do my job with excellence. I do my job with integrity. I don't lie. And I'm not telling you that because I haven't been there. 
God opens the door that no man can shut and shuts the door no man can open. When my wife and I both taught in Jersey City in a public charter school, we would write a letter home to the parents and say, this is not a school-related trip, but if you'd like us to take your children to church on Friday night in Staten Island, we're willing to do so. And so some of the parents signed off on it. They said, okay. And so I, I think it was Alana, I don't remember how the kids who watched them at the school, I think Alana did. I, I drove the Staten Island to the church, got the church van, drove back to Jersey City. We got the kids in the van, drove them to youth group. After that, a friend of mine, we drove all those kids home door to door. Years later, I went back to the same school to teach. I have some time in between these years. Go back to the same school. And at that time, Times Square Church is holding the cross in the Switchblade stage production. And so I said, hey, let me write a letter. Tell them it's not church related. Send it out. I get called into the office by the assistant principal. He writes me this, it was already typed, a typed up letter that probably is somewhere in my file. I didn't save the letter. It said, if I ever do something like that again, I'll be fired. Let me tell you, that same assistant principal was the same assistant principal years ago, and he's a believer in Christ. There is a slow fade going on, folks. We do not conform to the pattern of this world. I've had a sixth grade student, the last school in Staten Island before coming here. Mr. Aragon, I'm cutting myself. What am I supposed to do? Put my arm around her and say, it'll be okay, sweetie, go to next class? And I have children, and I have a wife who's home full time, and I have to make a decision right then and there, and I thank God for the many times that I've had an opportunity to share Jesus, and I would share the love of Jesus with her. We had a young girl in the school, this was some years ago before coming here, and the guidance counselor, and it was, it was no accident, the guidance counselor shared it with me, because if we're listening, God is working and so the guidance counselor told me that Izzy, that her name was Isadora, Izzy had a premeditated plan to kill her mother and her sister, sixth grade girl. And my wife and I were serving at a church in Staten Island at this time. And we're working with the young adults and, and, and next room down the halls, the youth group. And all of a sudden, Izzy is walking down the hall. I said, oh my goodness, we go to the same church. And I began to share with her And I didn't share this in the first service, but th this is serious. It, you know, her problem was after I shared the gospel with her and sat down with her and talked with her, she was involved in the occult. She was involved in the demonic. She actually told me she didn't want to give up her friend for Jesus, her spiritual friend, her demon. Well, Izzy would get in trouble in school, and, and I had a choice to make. I remember uh, there be a time where I would ask my, we'd have co-teachers, and I'd ask my, my co-teacher, hey, can you, can you watch the class? And I would take Izzy out of class, and I'd walk around the courtyard with her, sharing Jesus with her. You can't just watch people die in front of us. God opens the door, no man can shut. I remember it was a public charter school. I was subbing at this time. I think it was around Patterson, New Jersey, and I was there one day, it was Christmas time, and, and so I, I either called or texted my wife. I said, you know what, I, I may be asked to leave before the end of the day. I figured I'm gonna be there one time. I have kids in front of me, and I had a candy cane in my pocket. Now, I'm not saying the candy cane story is authentic or not, but if you heard it, sometimes people say it could be a J or a staff, and the red is for the blood of Jesus, and the white is for purity, and so I pulled out the candy cane to that sixth grade class in a very heavily Muslim populated area in school and I said, does anyone know what this means? I said, no. So I began to share the gospel. And then I said, who wants to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why don't you pray with me? The whole class bowed their head and prayed. I was waiting for that phone to ring about 10 minutes later to say, get out of the building. And I never got the call and a couple weeks later, I had committed to teach somewhere else, but that school did call back, and you know what? They offered me a job. Now, I was committed somewhere else, but I just wanted to tell you that God opens the door no man can shut, and shuts the door no man can open. And if you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, there's no better place than that. We can gain the whole world and lose our soul. 
God will take care of us. I have a question for you. What is the address of Grace Point Gospel Fellowship? You don't have to say it out loud. Some of you, you may just use your GPS and end up here. Um, What is the address of Grace Point Gospel Fellowship? Now, if you're thinking 384 New Hempstead Road, New City, New York, 10956, you are partially correct. That's the address of the building. If this is your church and you're a believer, guess where the address of Grace Point Gospel Fellowship is? Your house. Where the church. And the church is all of it is county. So many times I've heard people say the church doesn't do enough outside the walls. I've been guilty of saying that. But the reality is we're everywhere. We're everywhere. We're missionaries at our workplace. We're pastors in our homes. We're evangelists on a bus. We're everywhere. And so the correct address of Grace Point Gospel Fellowship is your address. We will not be a quiet church. I know this is Pastor Daniel's heart too. We will not be a seeker-sensitive church. We will not be a people-pleasing church, and we will not be a rude church. John chapter 4. There's a woman who shares a testimony, and we see the amazing result of this testimony. This is the immoral woman. This is the woman that Jesus turned to and said, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Let me just tell you this. If you're living with someone that you're not married to, move out. Jesus did not have to say the man you are living with now. He could have just said the man you have now or your boyfriend now, whatever you wanted to say. But he made it very clear. The Bible says don't give a hint of sexual immorality. If you are living with someone and you're not married, don't use the excuse we're sleeping in separate bedrooms. Get out. We have a testimony to share with this world. And let me tell you, the moment that you wake up and walk out the door in the morning, the neighbor's not saying, they're such good Christians. They probably live in separate rooms and go to bed at 8 o'clock and lock their doors. (laughs) They're saying whatever everyone else is saying and thinking. And so we are not to give a hint of sexual morality, but but it's amazing because this lady has an encounter with Jesus. She says in verse 29, John chapter 4, you don't have to turn, it says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So people came streaming from the village to see him. The Bible says many Samaritans believed because she said this one sentence, he told me everything I ever did. Could you imagine if we just spoke? This isn't even a good testimony. All she said was, come see a man I ever did, and the town comes out and gets saved. The key is an immoral woman who says, this man told me everything I ever did. What would happen if we share our testimony? What would happen if we share the gospel with someone at work, at our campus, with a professor? The village has changed. They go from that to saying, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. In Acts 26, verses 15 to 18, Paul gets a calling from the Lord, but it's actually the same calling for you and I. I'm not talking about being apostle or writing scripture. I'm talking about how God wants to use us. This is no different. This is not extreme Christianity. This is just Christianity. He said, I'm going to send you. To open their eyes. God wants to use us to help the blind see. So they may turn from darkness to light, from power of Satan to power of God, and they'll receive forgiveness of sins. This is how God wants to use your life and my life. It's the same calling. It's the same calling. And here's a word for the church, including myself. And when I say church, I mean church in general. In Mark chapter 5, the Bible tells us that there's a woman there who's Suffered bleeding for 12 years, constant bleeding. And it says she, she, she spent all her money on doctors. She, she tried everything she can. And instead of getting better, the Bible tells us that she got worse. But then one day she sees Jesus going through the crowd and she presses through and she touches the hem of his garment. And what happens? The bleeding stops immediately. It's gone. We cannot forsake the power of her testimony. The church has been paying doctors 
all these years to try to grow the church and, and, and grow this ministry and do this and get some church consultant to come in and, and maybe if we preach this way and if we do something early, if, if we only had the cafe open every Sunday, then we'd have a hundred more people here. She had a terrible condition, the Bible says, but it was fixed by touching Jesus. You may say, well, pastor, I don't have a lot to share. Bible has an answer for that too. Luke chapter nine, Jesus is about to feed 5,000 people. And when the disciples saw the crowd coming, they say, Jesus, send them away. They're looking at the natural, they're looking at themselves, they're looking at their, their Bible gra- background or, or theological degree. They're, they're looking at themselves and saying, there's a huge crowd with a huge need. We can't do anything about it. It's a desolate place. Actually, in the ESV, it says desolate. Desolate means joyless. Is, we're living in a joyless society and we see the need all around us and we try to figure out, what can I do to meet the need? What can I do to grow the church? What can I do to make people like Jesus? How seeker sensitive or people pleasing could I be? Instead of just getting right to the point and sharing Jesus, letting people know there's a heaven, there's a hell, you're a sinner, you need to be saved, you need to be forgiven. There is a cross in the testimony which we'll get to in a moment. And so they're saying, please send them away. The temptation is always to give people the natural to bring up everything else instead of the truth, to give them the cross. You know, in John chapter six, same story. Jesus is about to feed the 5,000 people. Now he has a conversation with Philip, and Jesus tests Philip. He says, Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? In other words, the crowd got so big. Where can you buy what they need? We have pastors buying sermons online. I thank God I shared it in the first service of Chris, the worship team. I thank God the goal is not let's find the perfect set list. If we get these three songs to go together, we always need to start fast, go slow. You know, Chris didn't ask me what I was preaching on, but there's two songs that, that he sang this morning that go along with the message. If we don't try to figure it all out, try to find a formula for the kingdom of God, He says, Philip, where can we buy it? We don't need to buy it. You know, the the, the solution in that story was just to give the little bit we have and Jesus multiply it. Give the little bit you have. If you got a little testimony, give it. You know a little bit about Jesus, share it. If all you know is that I was a sinner, Jesus died on the cross for me and, and, and now I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven, share it. Jeremiah 23, 22 says, And this is not a word just for pastors or preachers. It's a word for a believer. If they had stood before me and listened to me, if we spend time listening to God, they would have spoken my words, his words, and they would have turned my people from their evil ways and deeds. Revelation 22, 17 says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. What a beautiful picture the Holy Spirit and the bride, which is the church, are saying the same thing. That if we would get in tune with the Holy Spirit and we'd walk in agreement with the Holy Spirit, we would get a word from God. Beloved, there's a difference between getting a word from God and sharing words about God. That is a big difference. Pastor Carter Conlon, the overseer of Times Square Church, shared this. He said, you can actually see that in the book of Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost when the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, religious people were walking by. What stopped them in their tracks? They were speaking a word from God. That's what they were doing. They were speaking a word from God. No doubt that those people heard words about God. This generation, our children, our grandchildren, our families, our spouses need a word from God. We need to get away with God. We need to get into this book. Spend time that we would have a word. College students, so when you're in your classroom and your professor's pumping junk down your throat, you understand it's not true because you've spent time with God and you have a word. You have a word from God. And not a word from YouTube, not a word from a podcast, not a word from another person, not a word to go everywhere else and go to all these different devotional books which are okay, but you need a word from God. God wants to speak to you. It's not for some select group of people. He wants to speak to you. 
There's a prophet, Haggai, starting at verse 2 in chapter 1. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In other words, there's a a group of people that that are self-focused. They're self-focused on themselves, their career, what they want to do and what they want to achieve in life. And they're saying, it's not time yet to serve God. It's not time yet to speak. It's not time yet to share my testimony. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much but harvest little. If anybody in this room has been paying attention to the church in the United States of America in the last 15, 20 years, we are planting all over the place with nonsense and harvesting little. And why do I share this? I share it so we don't get swept up in the current. Do you remember just 10 years ago, every pastor had skinny jeans and thick black glasses? It's just a current. It's a current. And the church just flows down the lazy river. But if we would spend time with God, we would get alone with God, we would realize much of the church has planted but harvests little. My heart, as a believer, as a believer from brother to brother or brother to sister, is that there would be a remnant in this house that's different. Not in a self-righteous, proud way, but different. We are different. We speak differently. We still believe in the blood. We still believe in the power of testimony. We still believe in sharing the cross. We still believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We still believe that it's the power of God that changes a person's life. That in a moment of time, if they cry out to Jesus, everything can change. We still believe in what the Bible says. We open it and we believe it. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. In other words, there's a lack of righteousness in the church because the Bible says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Peter tried to stay warm around the wrong fire, but then the other fire would come. What are we clothing ourselves with? What are we feeding ourselves? I'm pretty sure Pastor Dandel's not the only pastor that you listen to, and that's okay. And I shared this on the retreat, but we have to be careful who we listen to. We have to be very careful what their message is. It may sound good. Remember, when we become born again, we still have a flesh. And our flesh likes certain things. They like it. People like when people talk from flesh to flesh. Michael Patillo, a pastor out in Colorado Springs, told me this. He said, Pastor, and it wasn't me personally, just to pass. He said, Pastor, don't teach me about me. Teach me about the Jesus who lives inside of me. And so we like it. Our flesh likes it when someone is all this self in front of the message. Because it feels good for a moment, just like sugar. Feels good for a moment, then you don't feel good. And so you, you, you get these, these sugar daddies, if I could put it that way. And it's not in the notes, but I'm going to say it. You get this, and they pump people with sugar, and they feel good for a moment, but then they go to work, and men are falling into adultery. Because there's no power to stand. There is a power available to us from the Holy Spirit. But it takes a death. It takes a crucifixion in our own lives. And these sugar Messages that people give, run from it for your life. We put on clothes. We cannot keep warm. The power of the Holy Spirit will warm us up. Your wages disappear as though you're putting them in pockets filled with holes. There are pastors who commit suicide because they're so discouraged that they're not getting enough likes and enough notification from people. They can't fit the celebrity pastor mold. And this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. But he says, go up into the hills. Go up into the hills. And I remember one hill. It's called Calvary. 
He says, go up into the hills and bring down wood, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Or in other words, go up and get the cross. Put it back into our testimony. Put it back into the preaching. Put it back into our theology. Put it back into our community groups. Put it back into our worship teams. Put it back into your homes. Go get the cross and put it back. And when you put it back, the Lord will be pleased. It's what the Bible says. Go get the cross. Go up into the hill and get the cross. Go get the cross. And when your family comes together for dinner, if you don't, go get the cross. And share it at dinner. Share it. If you and I get the cross, the Bible says, then I'll take pleasure in it, the Lord says, and be honored. Down in verse 12 in Haggai chapter 1, it says, people began to obey the message. And the Lord reminded them, I'm with you. And then people were enthused, enthused, enthused. Ezekiel 22, 30. I look for someone, this is God speaking, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness. He looks, that guards the land, and I search for someone to stand in the gap. He's searching, he's searching for someone to stand in the gap. in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land but I found no one. He searches. Later on in Ezekiel chapter 37 the Bible tells us that there's a valley of bones. Dry bones. And God tells Ezekiel speak to the bones and he speaks to the bones. He speaks to the people. And the best that can happen when man speaks to the people is you get a little shaken. You get a little rattle. Maybe some people clap. Maybe some people shout. Maybe some people move around. Maybe they get a little excited. That's, that's the best that can happen. Then he says, Ezekiel, but there's still no life in them. Speak to the wind. Speak to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, you come now. Holy Spirit, you breathe life. Holy Spirit, you do what I can never do. Holy Spirit, you give the power that we need. Holy Spirit, you come. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Listen, please, beloved. Don't run out of here. We're going to have an altar call. And it's for everyone that's a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to tell you not to come to this altar call because actually the, it's spiritually correct, theologically correct to say that. See, I, I have five children at home, my oldest being eight, and my oldest daughter, eight years old, has prayed for salvation. And sometimes I look at her and, and I say, man, I, I, I really wish... I know she's prayed for salvation, but I, I wish, maybe I saw this, or, or maybe there would be a greater hunger there, and, and, and I, can't, I can't go home and, and say to my daughter, come on, you, you need to be reading more, because I've tried that. You, you need to do this. We try this as a church. Not to pick on any worship leaders at all, but how many times have we've heard in the past worship leaders, they, and I understand they pray all week, they should be praying all week for the service, praying for the songs, praying, and, and then sometimes they see people right in front of them that seem like as if they're not here. But then God reminds me that there's a step in between there's salvation. And then there's Paul's life. Turning people from darkness to light, the power of Satan to the power of God, and people are being forgiven of sins and being saved. But there's something very important in between. Matter of fact, we wouldn't even have the book of Acts if it didn't happen. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the fullness of God 
you can have as much of him as you want. If you don't have a desire to pray and read, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to the Christian. Because when the fire is going out in my life, I need to say, Holy Spirit, fill me. It's a command, be being filled. Be being filled, be being filled. If you're at your job and you wish you would speak, but you don't, it's the power of God. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it very clear. Who is it for? It's for the Christian. If you're not a born-again Christian, don't, don't, don't ask for more of a spirit with the Holy Spirit when you're not even repenting from other things. Don't, don't go there. But if you're a Christian in this place, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, it's available to you. How do we get it, we ask? He gives us power. Some of us, we, we can go back to a date and time and we can say, I remember that day when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit every day. Some of you, you haven't even prayed in tongues in a long time. We forget, we get smart. We try to figure things out in ourselves, and then the book of Jude tells us it builds us up. And praying in tongues is not the end all of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it is a spiritual gift and it's a weapon that we can use in our faith. The purpose of the power of God is to witness. To witness. Guys, you're smart enough to connect the dots. We have a church age that doesn't share their faith, but we also have a church age that says, I can figure everything out and that antiquated baptism of the Holy Spirit stuff, let's just get rid of it. See how they're connected? It's very simple. It was always simple. Peter failed, ran from a little girl, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches with power, and thousands get saved. What a difference. And so I'm going to give an altar call. And again, that simply means leaving your seat, coming to the front of this church. And I'm going to ask all the pastors that are here, elders, deacons, deaconesses, if we could spread across the front and we're going to begin to pray for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for the power of God to come. It's available. I invite you to come forward now. You can come now, even before we sing. I invite you to come forward. And I said in the first service, you're in the balcony, guess what? You got up there, you know how to get down. You come now. You receive what God has for you. We're gonna take our time. We're gonna pray. Spread out. There's leaders over here. If we can get some leaders on this side too. And we're gonna worship and we're gonna pray and we're gonna leave filled with God's spirit.